Uh, If you would, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue uh, to make our way through uh, just what I call one of the crown jewels of Paul's letters. And we uh, are in the midst of a two-part message. Really, if this uh, today is is part two of a same message we started last week. And the idea as Paul gets to this practical section of his letter, he starts with the understanding of how the body is to operate operate, the church body, the body of Christ, Christ's people. And in the first part of of chapter four, uh, the whole focus was on the unity of the body. And Paul went into these seven ones, these rapid fire ones of what unifies us, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And and he lists out these seven ones. And then verse seven is a bit of a a, a transition verse in which Paul's like, as I talk about this unity of the body, I want us to understand that unity does not mean uniformity. That that the, the body is unified around these things, but that Christ has diversely gifted every one of us who have been who, who know Jesus as Lord with gifts to be used to serve the body. And so uh, uh, Ephesians 4 is this beautiful combination of the unity of the body and the diversity of the giftings. And so the big idea of these two weeks, as we've said it, is this, that we are bound by unity in the Lord, those seven ones, yet gifted diversely from the Lord, what we'll see today. And all this has a purpose. And the purpose of it is that we would build up the body of the Lord. And so we're bound by unity in the Lord, yet gifted diversely from the Lord to build up the body of the Lord. And so last week was all about this unity portion. This week is all about this diversity of giftedness that Christ has given to his body, that when we use them and when we step into the callings and the giftings that Christ has called us to for his body, the body is built up. It grows up. It matures. And we're going to see this today. And so in this section today, I want to pull out three principles of this idea of a diversity of giftings and why Christ has done that and, 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 and why it matters. And here's what I hope happens. I've been asking all week that God, through the power of his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit, would really help us understand in a deep way how important it is that all of us who are part of his body would be actively engaged in the life of the body. Um, I know that many of us who have church background, we have heard a number of messages like this on spiritual gifts and come on, get in the game and and, and use them. But I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit would do a great work through the power of the word of God, that we would really understand that, man, the, 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 the reality of the body life of the church is way more than us just gathering on a Sunday and sitting in some seats. It's way more than that. And all of us got to get in the game, so to speak, on that. And so um, I want us to jump in here at verse 7. I want to pull these principles out as we go here. But if you would, get your eyes on God's word. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 7. All of these ones have just been listed. Uh, One body, one spirit, just as you were called the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And so the first principle I want to pull out here of Ephesians 4 is this. Jesus, as the head of the church, is the giver of gifts for the good of the church. Jesus, as the head of the church, is the giver of gifts for the good of the church. Now, there's a couple things I want to tease out of this point right here, and I want you to look back at verse 7. Paul says that grace was given to each one of us. Within the context of what Paul's writing about, he's talking about a practical grace here. What's this practical grace he's talking about? He's talking about the giving of gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or as the NLT translates verse 7, it says it like this. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And so uh, I, we say this in, in almost you know, in every sermon that's uh, on the topic of spiritual gifts, but if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift or gifts to be used for the glory of Christ and for the building up of his body. Now, another thing that I think is really important that we see in this Verse 7 has told us that these gifts are given uh, by the generosity of Christ. And then in verse 8, Paul quotes, and he ascended on high. He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Christ is the giver of these gifts to his church. And if Christ is the giver of the gifts, then the giver gets all the glory, right? The giver gets the glory. And so um, one of the things that's really important that we just say that we often don't mean to do, but we never look to glorify the ones who have been gifted. We look to glorify the giver of them who gave him to build up his body. And so he gets the glory in all of these things. And so if each of us who call Christ Lord has been given gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift, then it's really important that we understand this statement. Church life is participatory, not spectatory. I love making up words, okay? <laughs> Church life is participatory, not spectatory. And, and why this is so important and why you hear us, I think, hammer on this quite a bit and why, while probably I, as long as I'm your pastor, I'll continue to hammer on this is because we just need to recognize sometimes the way uh, we can structure church life in America is it's easy to fall into a trap of it becoming more spectatory. When in reality, what we'll see by the time we make our way through this whole passage is how crucial it is that all of us are just taking the next steps of using the gifts that the Spirit has given us for the building up of the body. And so, verses 7 and 8 have told us that Christ gives to each according to the measure of his gift. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then um, something interesting happens in verse 9 and 10. And so if you look at your Bible, you see the little 9 for verse 9. What's the very next thing that comes after that 9? Okay. What, before those words even in some of your trans A parenthesis. Paul 
What I love about Paul is anytime he brings up Christ, it's like he can't stop there with just the mention of him. He's got to get into some Christology. Let's talk about who Jesus is. Or he's got to get into some doxology. Let's worship him for who he is. And so at the mention of Christ in verse 8, Paul's now going to make a parenthetical point here, a parenthetical statement about Jesus. And he says this, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, that parenthetical statement that Paul just made, these are air parentheses when I do it, okay? Just so you're with me. Has had massive amounts of content written on it for centuries and centuries and centuries since he wrote that. So many people have speculated, what, what does it mean when Paul says that he descended into the lower regions? What, what, is it, what does all this mean? And, and people have written, and there's so much out there that you can read. I, the purpose of my message today isn't to unpack that in its fullness. It's to keep that parenthetical in its parenthetical place. But I'll say this. What I think Paul means by that is exactly how the ESV translated. That Jesus is the one who descended, incarnate, took on flesh, went to the cross, laid in a tomb, and then he's the one who from the tomb rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And it's in his ascension now gives gifts to his body for the building up of the body, our maturity, and for his glory. That's what I think it means. Now, I know some of you have probably been taught different things about what that means. And, and again, as I say a lot, we can grab a scone and talk about that. But I think it's really important we keep this parenthetical in its place and not lose sight of the point that Paul's making. And what Paul has said thus far is each one of us has been given gifts from Christ. Now, as he comes to verse 11, Paul is going to illustrate this point. And this is, I think, another really important thing. When we come to the passages on the spiritual gifts in the Bible, I don't think in any of those lists do we have an exhaustive list. That Paul's just trying to list every single spiritual gift that's out there. I believe what he's doing is he makes this point of a diversity of gifts within a unified body. He's, he's illustrating what he's talking about. And as we come to verse 11, Paul is illustrating his point with what I'll call a, 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 a set of equipping gifts. What are, what are some equipping gifts that Christ has given to build up his body? Uh, look at what he says in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so what I think Paul's doing as he comes here, he says, I'm talking about each of us having a gift. Now let me talk about, let me illustrate this by talking about some gifted ones that Christ has given for the building up of the body. 
And so the second principle I want to pull out and then I want to tease it out is this. Jesus has given some gifted ones, and I worded that intentionally because this list is a bit different than how we see spiritual gifts listed elsewhere. Jesus has given some gifted ones to equip the believers for the work of ministry. And these five things, or, or we can debate that too. Are there four? Are there five? People go back and forth on this. But these five things, as I'm keeping it here, are what I'm calling these five-fold equipping gifts that Christ has given to his church. And so you look back at 11, and it says, and he gave the what? He gave the what? The apostles. So one of the gifts that Christ has given his church is the apostles. The word apostle means sent one. Uh, you have at the beginning and the foundation of the church what I always call capital A apostles. Those who were direct eyewitnesses to Christ. Those who were directly commissioned to their sending call by Christ. And I think it's really important that we always kind of recognize and, and keep as unique those initial apostles who laid the foundation of the church. But as we think about uh, this idea of sent ones, this, this what I sometimes call lowercase a sent one giftedness within the church, um, there are those who Christ has given the body who live as sent ones, who who do gospel pioneering work, who take the gospel places where the gospel is not yet. Uh, the mentality of this is a Romans 15, 20 mentality. And it says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I should build on someone else's foundation. And so I think uh, Christ, even in our day, gives some believers this, this, this little A, this pioneering, this missional spirit that, that when they read Romans 15, 20, they're like, yes, let's get the gospel where it is not yet. And they live out this reality. And it's one of these that Christ has given the, to the church with, for a purpose. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles. And then what's the next thing listed? He gave the prophets. Prophets, very simply, thus says the Lord. Prophets have a, a unique boldness to thus says the Lord. And an ability to call out culture where culture deviates. You see it in the Old Testament prophets. The ability to say thus says the Lord. To call out culture where culture deviates from that. You have the evangelists. The apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. Uh, we're... I think a bit more common with some of the rest of these listed. Evangelists are those who preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. And it seems that the Holy Spirit gives a kind of a supernatural fruit as they do preach the gospel. And so every believer is to do evangelism. And yet God has gifted some as evangelists who when they preach the gospel, supernatural fruit often comes in a great way. I was uh, a few, early on in ministry, I was at a men's conference, um, and a really well-known preacher was there, and he was preaching, he has a gift of evangelism, and honestly, I thought the message he preached was pretty dull. Like, I just didn't think it was very great. Like, here I am at 22, right, just critiquing, like, oh, man, he could have done so much better. Like, how prideful was I, right? And yet, he came to the end of the message, and he presented the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, and men flooded 
I believe legitimately like hundreds upon hundreds were saved that day through the proclamation of the gospel. And I believe just God uh, gifts, God tells us he gifts some as evangelists. And so you have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then you have one listed here, shepherds. Now some people will combine these last two into one, shepherd teachers. Others leave them teased out as two. I'm just leaving them out as two because I've just taken the list as we have it here. Shepherds, or what can sometimes be translated pastors, whose role is to nurture, to care for, to lead, to protect the flock. That's the role of a shepherd, to nurture, to care for, to lead, to protect the flock. And then related to this, or often accompanying this, is this idea of teachers. Teachers have been gifted by God to help explain and illustrate and apply the word of God in such a way that when those who are really gifted with teaching do it, we're like, wow, okay, I, I understand that. And it's been illustrated in a way where I really get it and, and I know how to apply that to my life. And so uh, uh, Paul lists out these, these, these gifts here and then he tells us in verse 12, here's the purpose of these gifts I've just listed. Verse 12 says their purpose is to what? To? To equip who? The saints for what? For the work of ministry. And so the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers are called by God and gifted by God to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so this is a really important thing that we understand. Um, if I were to ask you, when you think of someone who's in full-time ministry, what do you think of? You think of pastors, you think of church staff, you might think of staff members at uh, places like One Mission Society or other ministries, and, and we get that. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a wrong terminology. You totally get it. But one of the things I want us to think as we come to verse 12 is what if we're not the ones in full-time ministry? What if y'all are the ones in full-time ministry? And I remember learning this in a really, really powerful way from Pastor Mark as he transitioned out of 30 years in the corporate world. I heard him mention a couple times, he just would say things like, in many ways, I'm transitioning out of full-time ministry into a role to equip people for full-time ministry. And I thought, based on what we find here in Ephesians 4, verse 12, there's precedent for that. That the role of pastors, the role of these listed here is to equip you all for the work of ministry for the work of ministry that will happen in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces, for the work of ministry that's going to happen amongst the body. And one of the things, as we keep growing up as a ministry, that we as, as elders and pastors and staff will have to continue to grow in is how are we doing at equipping the body for the work of ministry that Christ has called them to? Because I'm telling you something. When you start to get this, The experience of what it means to gather as the church will, will, will fly through the roof for you. Here's what I mean by that. When you've just grown up attending church, attending church, attending church, attending church, but then when someone comes alongside you and goes, I see, I see God has wired, gifted, called you to some unique things, and they begin to walk with you and to equip you to step into those things, 
you now begin to engage in the body life of a church in a way that you had never up to that point. And the joy that comes from that as you watch the way that God uses the way he has uniquely called and gifted you to see the body as a whole begin to flourish in a way that it wasn't before that. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, as we come to verse 13, we learn why it's so important we get this. It's crucial that we get this. It's crucial that we put away any sort of spectatory view of church membership and begin to embrace why God has called all of us to use the gifts he's given us. Look at what it says in verse 13. I'll start in 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Third principle we have here is this. Jesus' goal is that we would grow up and mature. Literally, he has just tied these things together that each of us has been given gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes in to illustrate that a bit with some uh, gifts that he's given to the church to equip the saints to step into those. And now he says, if we don't all step into those ways God, Christ has called and gifted, we won't mature the way Christ has called us to mature. And so uh, we got to set aside any sort of individualistic understanding of our spiritual growth. We need each other to grow. That, yeah, that was a late amen, but a great opportunity for an amen. We need each other to grow. We can't grow in isolation. I need your, the gifts the Spirit's given you, and, and, and you need the gifts that the Spirit's given people five rows behind you. And when we begin to interact with those, look at all the maturity language or the building up language we saw in these verses. Verse 12 says uh, that we would build up the body. Verse 13 says that we would be built to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 15 says that we would grow up in every way. Verse 16 said that it would make the body grow. And I want to especially look at what it said in verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, when what? When each part, when what? Say it with me. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, just take the illustration scripture gives us of a body. Now, think about a time in your life when one part of your body was hurt, was not functioning the way God designed it to. If you walk home today into the kitchen and you stub your pinky toe and break it, 
it has greater effects than just on your toe. Your foot will begin to hit the ground differently with how you walk, which will put strain on your calf muscle, which, which will put strain on your knee joint. And on and on and on and on it goes. Each part of our body is designed exactly the way God has designed it, that when it works in harmony, we, we, can, we can enjoy, we can walk across the room and enjoy the way God has designed it to work. This is the picture Paul's giving for us as a body. When one part isn't carrying out the way God has gifted and called that part to carry out, it puts strain on the rest of the body. We can't mature, we can't grow up the way Christ has called us to in that regard. And he gives us a warning of what happens if we don't mature. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be what? Children. When you don't grow up spiritually, you remain spiritual children. What's the danger of remaining a spiritual child? He tells us. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So when we all don't function together using our gifts, seeing the body built up and mature, we remain spiritual children. When we remain spiritual children, picture a ship here tossed on the waves. Every wind of doctrine, every human cunning, all of this philosophy, we just get tossed back and forth by all of this. And how important is this in our day? When we can carry in our pocket little three by five devices and with one swipe of a thumb be, be, have more information in front of us than many people did for an entire decade before. How do we know how to sift through that? How do we know what is true? How do we not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes when we're all operating together and it leads into we don't want that. We don't want spiritual immaturity. We don't want to remain children. We want to grow up together. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ not tossed to and fro, all of us working together, living out our spiritual maturity and community, leveraging the gifts of one another, speaking the truth in love, right? So long as you lead with, with all due respect, you can say whatever you want, right? Or the Christian version, hey, love you, but... Can I say some hard things? The fact of the matter is, though, I need that. I don't always like that. Hey, I love you, I really do, but Brock, can I say some hard things to you? Oh, here we go, let's go, yes, come on. We need that. And we grow up together when that happens. But it's lived out in community, and it's lived out as we're leveraging the gifts and the abilities and callings that God has called us to within his body. So. We're bound by unity in the Lord, yet gifted diversely from the Lord to build up the body of the Lord. Now, you should be asking a question. I've just kind of given you a message all about, come on, step in, don't spectate, participate, let's go, all of us in it together, using our gifts, 
Let's take one more step in that direction, one more step of more actively engaging in the body life of the church. You should be asking a question. What does that look like? How do I do that? And it's a really, this is a really, as we turn the page on this chapter as a church, that is a really important question for us. How do we do that? Um, my answer to that is this. What if we take the little league approach? You're like, what's the little league approach? When um, young, young kids show up for little league baseball practice on the first couple practices, the coach, how many of you ever coached little league baseball or softball? How many of you? You have no idea what you're working with, right? You got one kid in the outfield waving at butterflies. You got another kid picking grass. You, you got no idea. The first couple of practices, you got no idea what you're working with. So what do you do? You begin to just work them through the basics of the sport. Hey, hey, what, that, kid, that kid can field. Like when we hit that kid a grounder, he can scoop it up. Shortstop. Hey, that kid, he can hit all right. Slot him into the third or fourth spot. Hey, that kid, you see the arm on that kid? Pitcher. You begin to sort them out. Like these kids just show up to a sandlot field. And over time, a coach begins to see what if we put them there and what if we put them there and what if we put them there and what if we put them there. Here's the little league approach. What if we just bring our full selves to the body of Christ? And what if over time, it's like, when you do that, we thrive. I don't know how you do what you just did there, but when you do that, our whole discipleship group's better for it. Can you do more of that? How do we unleash you to do more of that? And hey, when you do, when you do that, I had no idea. Like, did you even know that when you, when you do that, God does something. The Spirit shows up in a unique, intangible way. We're better for it when you do that. How do we get you to keep doing that? Uh, th this happened, you know, I hope this helps you. This happened uh, in our staff, within our staff context over the last few months. We're developing what we're calling foundational theology. It'll be a basic doctrine class we hope to launch at the beginning of the year. And um, we were walking through it in our staff chapels, just looking at the content. And Jeremy Hendon, our young adults um, director, he got up and taught a class on hermeneutics. And I looked at DJ, I said, that was better than any class I ever got in seminary on the topic. And it's like, Jeremy, do, you got to keep doing that because we're better when you do that. But, but the thing is, it's not just a Jeremy thing. It's not just a DJ. There's that for Christ loves his church so much. He's given that for all of his people. John Watts, when you encourage, something happens. Mark, when you administrate, we actually know what we're doing. <laughs> Andrew, when you shepherd, and Ashley, when you shepherd, man, it's, it's, it's unlike anything. For a whole body. And that's why we cannot just like show up on Sunday and isolate the rest of the week and think that we're ever gonna grow into the maturity that Christ has for us because it's gotta be played out in community. And it'll be hard at times. It'll be messy at times. And those of us who are wired more as like, like driver, like gospel new places, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. 
The shepherds will be like, hold on, can we like, well, people need love first. And they'll be like, we'll have to figure all that out. But we need it all. We need it all. And so, as we load up curtains and make our way across the football field, listen to me now, church, listen to me. I've been warned by so many in ministry. Do not let us believe we've arrived. That the work is done. That's not the promised land. The promised land is when we're in the presence of Jesus one day. And until that day, the purpose of that place is just to stir up this unity of the body through the diversity of the gifts so that new disciples can be brought to Jesus and current disciples can grow deeper in Jesus. And all of us are in on it. And so a Little League approach, if you're like, I don't even know where to begin, just get the register back out and just say like, I'll jump into a discipleship group. I'll jump into serving somewhere. I'm, I'm just bringing myself to Sandlot Field. And Lord, sort me from there. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to use me, the whatever ways you get, like let the body of Christ together just begin to sort that out in time. Amen? Redeemer, stand up. Sorry. Please stand up. Father, what a special chapter this has been. Lord, what a fitting passage this is. Because literally, 10 minutes from now, we're going to be loading stuff up, housing the ministry out of a new place. But Lord, nothing changes about what we've just talked about. It's still all of us unified on the things that unify us, yet, yet bringing the diverse giftings that God has given so that we as a community of followers of you would grow up and mature. And so that you as the head of the body would get glory. So God get glory. Jesus be glorified. I pray this in your name. Amen.